morning. This is Dr. Tack, and I am running for mayor of Lake Forest under the banner of the Lake Forest Caucus. Welcome to the Lake Forest Podcast. Welcome to the Lake Forest Podcast, a podcast about the lovely city of Lake Forest, featuring topics like local news, sports, music, people, food, and of course, politics. My name is Pete, and I'm joined with the voice of the Lake Forest High School basketball football lacrosse chess team. The Lake Forest Podcast is supported by viewers, listeners, and businesses just like you. Make a memory of a lifetime with Shark Eye Outdoors out of Longboat Key, Florida. Experience their shark beach fishing, kayak tours, and fossil hunting. Go to sharkeyeoutdoors.com and schedule an outing. Forest Bluff Real Estate Group serves Illinois, Wisconsin, Lake Forest, and Lake Bluff. Joan Josephitis, Laura Lee Van Fleet, and Michelle Parnell. Get a free market analysis now at forestbluffrealestate.com. Hey, for the best cannabis in the world, look no further than Iliad Epic Grow. They're a cannabis cultivation center focusing on hard-to-find small-batch products that will delight both the occasional user and the ganchier. When visiting Michigan, ask for it by name, Epic Products, Exceptional Process, Iliad Epic Grow. For more information, email info at iliadgrow.com. We'd also like to say we're thankful for our Patreon supporters, Reverend Lupa from the Church of the Holy Spirit, Matt A., Elizabeth C., Costa Lance, Otto, RDM, John C., and welcome aboard, Dan Rogers. Hello to the Lake Forest Breakfast Group, Broadstop Kenosha, Captain Mike's Kenosha, Greentown Tavern, Waukegan, and the Frolic Lounge in Waukegan. Walker, how you doing, Scoop? Doing good. Good morning, Pete. Happy New Year. Happy I'm New back. Year. Back in the cave here. Can't see my our constituents going by, but oh, is that your new podcast studio? I'm in the studio. Yeah. Holy crap! Yeah, I'm I'm back in mine. It's the uh, Wayne's World studio. Well, you, you got the guitar. Why don't you grab the guitar and do it? <laughs> yeah, I got to start practicing again. It's that time. All right. Breaking news. League of Women Voters of Lake Forest, Lake Bluff areas is writing to express concern because its November 23rd letter to the Lake Forest Caucus regarding their annual meeting proceedings has been misrepresented in both print and social media. Uh-oh. An article in Lake Forester newspaper on Thursday, December 8th, contained the headline, League Objects to Lake Forest Committee Endorsement. This headline is misleading because the LWV-LF-LB did not object to the endorsement itself. We objected to the caucus committee disregarding the majority vote of their general membership who did not support the committee's recommendation for mayoral candidate. Wow. Then in a I recent the episode, oh, wait a minute, vo- hold <laughs> on, dude, hold on. Then in a recent episode of Lake Forest Podcast, it was erroneously stated that the LWV was supporting one candidate for mayor and it was implied that this would be a problem when it came time for the candidate forums. The hosts were discussing the mayoral election as summarized in local e-newspaper, The Patch, where host Pete said, and then the League of Women Voters, they put a few quotes in there for Prue. Host Scoo replied, that's going to be interesting because they're really the only ones who have a mayor- mayoral debate. That's so, true. So <laughs> that's how are they statement. going to keep that? <laughs> LWV hyphen LF slash LB did not provide any quotes in support or opposition to any candidates. Despite the implication of the Lake Forester headline and the erroneous statement issued within the podcast, 
What's erroneous mean? LWV hyphen LF slash LB does not endorse or oppose candidates. Our mission remains inviting all the mayoral candidates to participate in the candidate forum. As always, local forums are moderated by professionals. That wouldn't be us. Outside of our community to ensure impartiality. Please feel free to visit our website at lwv-lflb.org for more information. School your thoughts. What did we say wrong? I don't know, school. You do a, I, you do a podcast. I mean, the League of Women Vote, Lake Forest League of Women Voters, are, is the only group that holds a uh, debate, at least up until now. And um, I. You know, I didn't say, did we say that we, that uh, they are supporting Cruz? Someone said that. We were responding to a... Uh, I was reading the patch. Yeah, the patch. So that's all we were saying is that that's the case. Well, you know it, what? League of I Women don't... Voters. <laughs> why don't you come on sh- the show and tell us where we got correct it. Uh, yeah, correct it. All we're doing is reading off the what we're seeing. <laughs> well, the Lake Forest Podcast... And here, here's the thing. It is an issue if that what we were reading is true. Yeah. If they're supporting Prue, which they're saying they're not, they're not, which is great. That's fine. So I think I oh said well. something like it, it seemed like it was slanted towards Prue the way they were. I think I said the articles was slanting towards ah. Prue. And I think I said if that's the case, that could be a problem. <laughs> Scoo, we got a couple new uh, supporters. Was that Pete? Dan Rogers. Rogers Nursery. uh, No, it's just Dan Rogers. Oh. Just Dan Rogers. But I do hear he he nurses. And we have a new business supporter, uh, Iliad. Here, I'll I'll, I'll read this for you. Ready, Scoo? Right, go. For the the best cannabis in the world, look no further than Iliad Epic Row. They are a cannabis cultivation center focusing on hard-to-find small batch products that will delight both the occasional user and, get this, the Gangier. When visiting Michigan, ask for it by name, Epic Products, exceptional process, Iliad Epic Grow. For more information, email info at iliadgrow.com. I might have to cut that down just a little bit, but... Is a ganjier the same as a sommelier or whatever they're called? Is it a ganjier or ganjier? I don't know. You said it. <laughs> well, you know, hey, here's the funny it, thing. Be right. At what point did you ever think, you know, there'd be an advertiser that's a pot grower? Ganjier. Ganjier. I thought Isn't about that crazy? That day one, Scoo. Did you? We were built. We are the Wayne's World of Lake Forest. How can we not have weed as an advertiser? Well, as you're saying that, <laughs> yeah, you know, my whole office here yeah. used to be a uh, oh, paraphern- right. paraphernalia store. Chambers General Store. Two nine five sixty. I guarantee you all our listeners will know what that is. I'm looking backwards right now. No, but, that's uh, fine. Yeah, no, that was uh, growing up. This was come in here. You can buy pipes, rolling paper, albums, <laughs> T-shirts. <laughs> well, Scoo, the what we've come to <laughs> progress. Foggy, <laughs> it's foggy around town now. I know why. 
Well, school as the fun. advertisers start to pile up here, we have to start thinking about scarcity. It's either we got to, you know, have a whole bunch of advertisers or we got to raise the price so we can weed some weed some of them out. See what I said there? But we're no, not I... there yet. We're thankful for everybody supporting us. Because if if oh. not us, who? Telling you, like, we got to get now. It, when? Did you ever go to the library? Like I asked you and get a Lake Forester <laughs> back in the day. I got. I'll go over and get one and just we'll go through it. You got pretty get microfilm, huh? <laughs> I'm telling you, the old Lake Forester is what people were dying for on Thursday, and it just every section was. Yeah. Just you knew what was going on. You're sitting on the couch or sitting at the bar with some buddies and and you got us well, school later on in the show we have uh dr randy tack coming on uh it'd be quite interesting to see uh his take on things especially yeah. since this lowly podcast just made the news <laughs> and so it begins <laughs> here we go yeah. oh man i'm gl glad we made the news <laughs> well <laughs> wayne's world I, I, I wish people would listen to what people are saying as opposed to headlines that's what people do they don't want to read they don't want to watch an hour in some right. cases our shows are an hour and a half i get it so then you i have to go in and edit and chop it up and give bits and pieces then then they crab about oh you're taking it out of context i mean because we have an opinion all of a sudden that's official yeah <laughs> we're wrong we're wrong half the time it's just an opinion <laughs> it's foggy in town and the weather too <laughs> new year's Too eve how's funny. new year's eve man quiet i think i hit the uh, potato around 10 o'clock really couldn't, couldn't handle anyone I, I was fighting back the uh tired and i'm like screw it i'm going up <laughs> party party pete made it to like one in the morning Ooh, where'd you go wedding reception well black there you tie. Go. Ooh. wow I, there's a couple of weddings well, Black yours tie. is another one. Are you ready for this? Just between us? Black tie. Like I'm gonna wear what where do I go for black tie? Did you so, have your did you have your tuxedo t-shirt on? Is that what you wanted? <laughs> if I could have got away with it, I, I would, but uh the wife went out and you know That's a lot of material. I mean, you'd it, probably uh you know shut down Smith's men's store if you had to take all their material for a time. Uh, they don't want me in there. <laughs> I the wife went out and got got me wedge you in their skinny pants. <laughs> I'd have to get on the second floor and jump and land. Everyone it. go over to Smith's right now and go buy some stuff. Oh, how are those guys doing, by the way? Crickets. Fantastic. Are they? All right. Tell them I, I said so. hi. See people okay. filing in and out of there all the time. I mean, so yeah, it'd be a good thing. All right. Well, I wasn't one of them, but I go to this black tie event and I'm, you know, looking all nice and dapper and, uh, I go to reach up to scratch my head, and what do I see right here? Big old label. The what? The label. Of what? It's a brand new jacket. The wife went out and got me a jacket. <laughs> wow. I got to be returning this the next day. Don't women do that? Or wasn't that a big thing where you buy a dress and for one occasion and return it? I, I don't know. We I wouldn't do such things. Hmm. But anyways, it was it was a great. Love movie. to see you in a tux. Oh, that was no tux. That was a 
black it was black tie encouraged okay. oh. so encouraged doesn't mean mandatory i know the difference between we went to one and i i it was encouraged and i'm like no uh, you know, I think it's time for a listener party, Scoo. I think uh, February 14th, Tuesday, don't have a place. Don't even know if that's the right date, but uh, Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, I got to find a Valentine. <laughs> Maybe be the weekend before. I don't know. Keep a prize. We've given you a month's notice. For all our 10 listeners. <laughs> diddly, diddly. Wait, wait, <laughs> yeah we got some listener comments here uh oh boy uh Pete Good Stone, one, you should have uh enjoy your show but you should have uh you should be slightly polished polished okay is that like a black tie i don't know uh we should have a studio to uh Eek. broadcast out of uh, come to my studio here, my studio. Sit on my couch. You could be right there. Let me sit on my stool here. <laughs> All right. You know, you can't be authentic in a in a studio. You know what I mean? Yeah, then then we really be getting harassed. <laughs> That's uh but if somebody would like to come on the show and have something to add and they like to sit in that sofa right there, it's very comfy. Sit down. We'll have you right there. Little mic on you, and love to hear what you have to say. Scoo, anything else going on in town in January here? No, I mean uh, high school's back in. I think it's today, and so all the uh, talking sports, all the fall or the, all the winter sports activity is gearing back up. And um, basketball game this weekend, guys. Come on out, support them. Support all the other. High school sports that are taking on in the winter. Go to the Lake Forest High School sports webpage and get all the, the uh, schedules. Right here. <clears throat> Dr. Randy Tech, thank you for coming on the Lake Forest podcast. Well, thanks for having me. How could we not have you? <laughs> so you're running for mayor. Why the heck do you want to do that, doctor? Well, that is a question many people ask. And, you know, there's, I've thought a lot about it, and there's a lot of different answers that I could give you. The simplest answer is that, you know, my entire life, adult life, has been spent here. I took my first job here. It's the same job I have currently. I've worked at Lake Forest Hospital for the last 32 years. My kids were raised here, educated here. Um, my first wife grew up here. I have very deep roots in the community, and basically, I just want to give back in the way that I can to the city. Now, you've given back already because you, you were an alderman for six years, right? Yes. And uh, a pretty good alderman, according to the uh, city council, of which we'll put the little clip here as you're going out. And I have the very lovely duty to read a resolution of appreciation for Stanford Randy Tech, Third Ward Alderman, May 2012 to May 2018. Whereas during his term of office, he served as a member of the City Council and Finance Committee, served as Chairman of the Public Works Committee, served on the Property and Public Lands Committee, was liaison to the Parks and Recreation Department in Croya. Whereas public 
Works Chairman Randy Tax steadily dealt with many important issues, including Sprinkler Free Mondays program. That is a big program. <laughs> Stormwater management and flooding, the city's historic gas lights, beach access road, and ravine erosion. And whereas Randy Tax served on the Fire Vision 2020 Committee, where a comprehensive assessment and appraisal of the city's fire suppression and emergency medical services was undertaken with the goal of developing a sustainable and innovative framework for providing service levels commensurate with resident expectations. And whereas during the time he spent on the Fire Vision 2020 Committee, he was instrumental in analyzing the city's public safety pension funding obligations, and whereas in an effort to enhance residents' enjoyment of the beautiful lakefront during summer evening hours, advocated for the service of adult beverages at Lake Forest Beach. Small <laughs> <laughs> matters. Whereas no matter the subject, Randy Tack always chose his words carefully, expressed his viewpoints wisely, and often offered a unique and innovative perspective which had yet not been considered by others. And whereas he has devoted much valuable time and personal attention to the work of these committees and the duties of the City Council, and on behalf of the citizens of Lake Forest, continually met his responsibilities with purpose and dedication. And whereas the citizens of Lake Forest recognize and are deeply appreciative of the valuable time and service contributed to the preservation and improvement of the quality of life in our community, now therefore be it resolved that the City Council of the City of Lake Forest, Illinois, hereby expresses the profound gratitude of the citizens of Lake Forest to Stanford Randy Tack for the loyal and faithful public service he has given by means of this resolution, which shall be spread upon the permanent records of the City Council, adopted by the City Council of the City of Lake Forest the seventh day of May, 2018. Is there a motion to that effect? So moved. Second. Second. <laughs> Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Randy, I hate to say it. Is that true? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's obviously for other people to say. But what I will say is that um, my time as an alderman was, as I've told other people, kind of a gift to me. It was something that was sort of out of my comfort zone at the time. I didn't really plan on doing it. It sort of fell into my lap. Uh, and what I learned in my time was that I really enjoyed the process of municipal government. A lot of the skill sets that I developed in my career as an orthopedic surgeon, which included management responsibilities, were actually pretty applicable to what we do at city council. A lot of problem solving and what I would call responsible decision making, meaning making decisions for what you then have to take personal responsibility for, which includes sometimes getting some heat um, from people who don't particularly agree with your viewpoints. Boy, it sounds like you could do a podcast. 
<laughs> what do you want to run on? Let's say, what are you about, Dr. Tack? Why should somebody vote for you? As I've said repeatedly, you know, one of the strange things about running for mayor or alderman in Lake Forest is it's not an agenda-driven process. It's, it's really about a commitment to competent city government. What I want to do is make sure that city government continues to run well. I mean, we're very lucky. I, I, I actually believe that Lake Forest has the most effective city government in the state of Illinois, and I think all the data supports that contention. The reason to vote for me is that I have a very deep commitment to maintaining that and to the extent possible enhancing that. Now, Doc, I'm the newcomer, Scoos, the old comer. There's some things that have gone on in the past when you were alderman, I wasn't around, so I'm going to have to lean on, on Scoo. One of the things that I see in my notes here, the termination of District 67 SSA to tax specific developments for uh, the burden their developments would place on the school district. What what happened? What does that mean? What's an SSA? <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that only people who are involved in city government would have really any uh, understanding of, with the exception of those people who were subject to the SSA. So a little bit of history involving this. And I think this started early 2000s. I know that Jack Preschlack was the mayor when this was actually put in place. So at that time, there was quite a bit of development in the city, Scoo probably remembers. And there was a great deal of concern about the school district and the number of children that would be coming into the school district and the financing of that. And so the city looked into passing an ordinance that essentially was designed, I believe, to be a tax on the developers to offset this financial burden that development was going to cause to the school district. So I think that the original theory of it was reasonable and probably fair. Unfortunately, what happened is, as soon as these developments, and there's a couple of examples of it, the easiest one where this came about was Regents Row, which is on Northwestern Avenue, if you're not familiar where this thing is. Once these developments were turned over to the homeowners associations from the developers, the people who had purchased these properties all of a sudden saw that they had this special tax, which it, in terms of Regent Row was about $500 extra per unit for the burden that their children would place on the school district. Now, on its face, that doesn't quite sound right because you're a citizen of Lake Forest, you pay taxes, which includes taxes for the school district. And now all of a sudden you've got this extra tax that says your children are going to be a greater burden on the system than someone else's. You start from that premise that this doesn't quite sound right, right? This SSA had been in place for about 10 years. What's SSA stand for? Oh, special service area. I'm sorry. Special service area. What yeah. is a special service area? Well, as defined by the statute in Illinois that allows municipalities to do this, it is, if you can identify a special burden that a subset of your community is going to place on the community. An example might be extending sewer service to a community that has all uh, septic tanks. You know, there's a special expense that that community brings or that that neighborhood brings to the community 
you can create a special service area that uses tax money to pay for these types of projects. Got so this it. was used in the context of funding the schools, which was, I don't really think it was designed to do this, but this is how they used it. Early on in my time as an alderman, I was approached by a resident of the third ward in Regent Row who said, he actually contacted the mayor who handed this off to me, who said, you know, I'm really concerned about this. I've been paying this for 10 years. I'm a lawyer. I don't think this is right. I don't think it's fair. And I would like the city council to take this up. So I went and I spoke to this gentleman and he showed me the Illinois statute. He showed me the Lake Forest City Ordinance and explained them to me. To be quite honest, everything he said made a lot of sense to me. So I took this back to the city council and I tried to get this on the agenda to discuss it. And initially there was a lot of resistance to it because this had been in place for 10 years. People are like, hey, let sleeping dogs lie, all the rest of this. But I felt pretty convinced that this was something that if the council took up and really discussed, that they would come to the conclusion that this actually was not something that was fair. And I think you could make the argument that it also wasn't legal. It took about six months before I could get enough council members and the mayor to agree to actually discuss it in city council. And finally we did so. And once this was really sort of exposed to the open air, there was general agreement that yes, this was not proper. Most of these developments that were subject to this had no children. So they were being taxed as a special burden when actually you know, they were paying taxes for the school district with no children in the schools. So they were really being whacked in this deal. And so the city council, once we debated it, uh, decided to terminate it. And so there were 10 years left. If you add up the savings to those residents, it amounted to somewhere in the range of about $800,000. One of the st state senators was a big fan of it, right? Yeah, I mean, after this went down, and you know, part of this was because I, I kind of led the discussion because I'd done the research on this. Uh, Susan Garrett, who had been a state senator, contacted me and basically just said, you know, she really appreciated the work I'd done on it and, and thought that I had done a, a remarkable service for my constituents. And, you know, I really appreciated that. I didn't know her. She didn't have any reason to reach out to me other than that she thought what was done was done well. Randy, what, going through the process, getting nominated um, to run for mayor, you went through the caucus process of interviews. Can you take our listeners through that process? Not necessarily the questioning, but, um, you know, there's a whole slate of candidates that the caucus puts forward and they go through a rigorous process. If you can just talk to that. Sure. So my experience with the caucus has always been on the candidate side. So you had Joe Aridi on a week ago, and I think he gave a pretty in-depth description of the, the mechanics of the caucus and, and how it works at the ground, at the grassroots level. My experience has always been as somebody who has been asked to interview for a position. So I th think maybe I'll start by going to how I got involved in the process as an alderman. It was from a friend of mine in the community who knew me well, who was involved in the third ward nominating process, who said, hey, we're in the process of looking for a new candidate for city council. Would you be willing to interview? 
And, and at the time I had, I was, you know, fully into my career and I hadn't given it too much thought, but my father had done this uh, in the village of Glen Allen. He was what they call a trustee and he enjoyed it. And so when I was asked, I thought this would be interesting. So I went and I interviewed and after the first interview, apparently it went well. They asked me for a second interview. It went well. And the next thing you know, I was nominated. So fast forward, I was alderman for six years. And then at the end of my term as an alderman, a representative from the caucus reached out to me and asked me again if I would agree to interview for the position of mayor. I really enjoyed my time as an alderman. Um, and so I thought this, sure, I would be happy to do that if, if you know, I'm honored that they asked me. So the process, as it was then and as it still is, they invite you to an interview. You spend an hour with 10 to 12 people, I think it is. Might be less. I don't remember the exact number. And it varied a little bit from interview to interview. Um, they would ask a series of questions that my understanding is that they asked all of the candidates for that position essentially the same questions. Maybe some follow-up questions were different depending on your answers. With each cycle, they would meet afterwards, discuss the candidates' responses, and move certain people forward. So my first experience running for mayor through the caucus system, I made it to the final round. There were three finalists at that time. It was myself, George Pandaleon, and Kathy Waldeck. The three of us appeared in front of the caucus committee, 43 people. They asked questions again, and we weren't all there together. So you're not really running against somebody else within the caucus. You are simply being interviewed for a position. So it's not like a, you know, a campaign or even like it is now. You know, I wasn't running against Kathy Waldeck. I wasn't running against George Pandaleon. I was simply presenting myself as a candidate for their possible selection. And at that time, they looked at the three of us and they chose George, which was not illogical. I mean, he had tremendous experience. He was a great alderman. George moved forward and he was the unopposed candidate for mayor. Um, what I can say about that process, not having been selected, it was fine. I mean, I felt like it was a great process. I was treated fairly and I thought George was a great candidate. And I actually happened to think that for that time they made the proper decision. So I had, I called him up and said, you know, George, congratulations. You'll be great. If you need me, you know, you know where I live. Um, and that's how that went. Then fast forward now four more years, I was called by David Hunt, uh, president of the caucus and asked if I would consider interviewing for mayor again. So we had a discussion about what the caucus was thinking, et cetera. And, um, you know, there'd been a lot of community chatter, which you guys have discussed quite a bit, uh, about what the caucus was doing and what they were thinking. And, and my concern going into it was simply this. I just wanted to make sure that if I entered the process that it was you know, a merit-based process. I didn't want to get into something where there was a preconceived notion of what the candidate would need to look like or sound like. And so he assured me that that was the case and I participated. And again, the process was really unchanged from those processes that I'd been through before, which is one of the beauties of the caucus, right? They're always looking at the same kinds of things. They're looking for nonpartisan, non-agenda 
based candidates who have life experiences that are applicable to city government. And I think that's what you want. And the other beauty of it is, is that every time you interview, it's completely different people. So like when I interviewed for mayor the first time, none of those people were left when I interviewed the second time. So there wasn't any carryover, there wasn't any bias, there wasn't any of that. Going through the process this time, again, three different rounds of questioning. The only difference this time was that there were only two finalists for some reason, I don't really know why. On this occasion, the, the caucus decided that for this time I was the best candidate and therefore they put me forward as their nominee and the rest is history. I think one of the important aspects that you mentioned, Randy, was um, you didn't roll out of bed saying, I want to be alderman or I want to be mayor. And this is typical of the caucus process that people don't really understand is that there are people in the community going to the caucus committee saying, hey, look at this person or interview this person. And I think that's the unique process of it is it's really not, yeah, I want to be alderman. I want to do this. It's other people in the community, you know, identifying somebody and saying, hey, caucus committee, go talk to this person. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that's really a great way to do it, right? Because what's the alternative? The alternative is people essentially nominating themselves and going out and finding like-minded people who want to support them to do something. And that always requires some form of underlying agenda. There's some reason why you believe that you are the person who should be X, right? Whereas the caucus just looks for qualified people with appropriate skill sets and then screens them. And, and, and I think that's for the type of government that we have, I think that's really what you want. I mean, I, I believe that it's it's an extremely strong system and essential to our form of government. But if, we, the, 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 if the caucus is there to vet out agenda, in part of the interview process, do you think it is fair to look at the candidates that are applying and look at their political contributions? I'd like to say no. I, I don't like the idea of asking that because I do believe that there can be politically active people who don't bring that into this system. It's probably true that people who are very active in politics in general and very supportive of candidates through financial contributions, who they support to the extent that they support them is probably indicative of certain viewpoints that may or may not be desirable in our form of government. But if you vet that candidate and you find that they can really separate those two, that they understand that there's a difference between the role of local government and the role of state and, and federal government, I'm totally okay with that. I don't think we should exclude people just because at those levels, they have strong partisan beliefs as long as they are willing to set that aside when they come to participate in, in our form of government. Scoot, what do you think about that? Before, I just don't think it's an issue. And, I, and I've always said it, it shouldn't be an issue. But caveat that will tie into what Randy's saying is if you can bring it to the local level and not let that interfere. Um, I just don't think you know, again, personal opinion that, you know, running like that leaves, uh, going against the process, I guess, leaves it the door open to if 
you do win that process or that position, then what happens to the process? Because now, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying this as I said it before was what favors are owed. And that kind of subverts the current system. If if I, I wasn't there for you, Doc, if I was there, that would be <laughs> something that I would do that I would bring up and say, at least make sure let's address this. I don't know if it was or it wasn't at the meeting. You know, it's one thing to put up, you know, $500. It's another thing to put up a lot more than $500. And it it, it raises an issue, especially now. We have to believe in people that they can put their politics aside and agendas aside and take care of the local government as best as they see fit, is what you're saying, Dr. Tech, right? Yeah, and and I think the, the vetting process does need to sort of challenge people's ability to do that. Yeah, I think you should ask questions about what do you think the role of local government is versus state or federal? Why is it different? You know, I think there's ways to probe that and find out can this person really function in this form of nonpartisan volunteer government without bringing in sort of other viewpoints that we don't have jurisdiction over and therefore shouldn't be discussing. And I think to your point, Pete, and I agree with what you're saying, is that in the interview process, again, the caucus is the foundation is nonpartisan and non-agenda driven and all that. So you know, in your questioning, Pete, if you were on the caucus, that would be a question, I guess, would it, to ask if you have that information. Is how, but how do you not take that forward, so to speak? You you don't want an agenda, right. but if you don't have the caucus, <laughs> then you are subject to an election. Whoever has the most money and the best machine will win. All right, let's talk about. Can we talk about the media now? The beautification of uh, Route sixty <laughs> and the uh, the lovely flowers that I notice as I'm cruising. Uh, uh, up and downtown. Who's responsible for that, doctor? The the, the project came about um, somewhat at the request of West Side residents, Academy Woods, Conway Farms, people out that way. And this occurred about the same time that we were having the BMW championships. Route 60 heading toward Matawa or Metawa. I'm not still not sure which is correct. Depends on how long you lived here. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, Erlacher don't care. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there there was a rather large median strip that is, of course, it's in the middle of a state highway, so it's owned by the state of Illinois that really wasn't very well maintained, and it was a bit of an eyesore. And so the communities out that way, including Conway Farms, who wanted a better experience for people coming to the golf tournament, thought it would be nice if we could landscape this. And of course, if you drive through Lincolnshire and some other communities, there are many examples of medians that have had some rather elaborate landscaping done. Um, so this was presented to the city council and Chuck Myers, I think was the staff member who was, who was putting this forward at the time. And the original proposal for it was to plant some trees and plant some grass and do some things but it wasn't a very evolved plan. When this was presented to city council, there was a fair amount of support for doing it. The problem was that the pl plan that was put forward wasn't terribly well thought out. And if you've ever 
planted things in your own yard, you understand that if you don't actually spend the time and the energy preparing things, your failure rate can be quite high. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we moved forward with this project, the council approved it. And the first iteration was a dramatic failure. I mean, within a year, everything was dying and it was, it was a mess. And so then this came back, said, well, now we really have a problem because it looked bad before. Now it's full of dead trees that we planted. Now we've got to do something else. And the, and the design got a little more evolved, but not enough for the site. In other words, this is a, a, a median strip in the middle of a state highway. The, the subsurface, you have to imagine what's in there. I mean, there's probably rocks and pop bottles and all kinds of stuff, not exactly the stuff that, that oak trees love. We had a second go around at this and that was also a failure of sorts. And so it came back and now we'd already spent several hundred thousand dollars doing this, beautifying a median that we didn't own, okay? And there was a lot of reason to question this project going forward to say, hey, are we going to do this again? And if we are, are we going to put the energy into it that's required to make the end result good? We had a fairly spirited discussion at city council about this. Uh, if you go back, it's actually, some of it's kind of funny in, in a positive way. And this was something that I took on sort of as a project. I did not want to see this thing fail again. So I really pressured you know, Chuck into getting a plan that was going to work. And they did to the city staff's credit. They went out and this became a very significant landscaping project. They got the industrial park to allow their retention ponds to be used as a water source for irrigation. They dug out all of the subsurface and put proper material in, and then they redeveloped it. And what you see now, several years later, is actually quite beautiful and attractive, as people like to call it a gateway to the city. So the end result was very positive, I think. Um, certainly positive for the state of Illinois, because they got a beautiful median that we paid for. But for the, the west side residents of Lake Forest, as you drive in, it is really a nice welcome to Lake Forest. And it's the kind of thing that we can do when city government works well. I just wish that we had done it correctly the first time, that it didn't take us three go-rounds to get it right. right. Skill, were you around for that? Did you? Uh, oh, yeah. I, so? I, I, and, and it's, you know, I remember the discussions and it was, like Randy was saying, kind of centered around the BMW. And, you know, they're coming in off the tollway and it's not really a great visual coming in and then you got all the businesses in Conway Park and all that. So I think it was, you know, the, the Band-Aid was for the tournament and then the maintenance of it kind of disappeared after the tournament. And But I remember the discussions listening to some of the council meetings and it was, you know, this is one of our gateways to the community and do you want it to look nice or do you want it, you know, to look was it one that of those things nice. that you were talking about where, you know, people would beef about it, but then once it's finally in, oh, that looks really nice. Again, Randy pushing that through um, shows you some of the leadership roles, I think, to, to get some people might say it's small stuff, but at the end of the day. Let's talk about some bigger stuff. The uh, public safety pension, Rand Randy, what'd you do there? In the time that I was alderman, uh, one of my roles was, was um, chairman of public works. 
when we would look at our, our budgets for the coming year, we started to see some, some problem areas developing. Um, some were related to funding of infrastructure, for instance, the water, water plant and water revenues. The city uses water revenues for many things. We don't just use them to sustain the, um, the sewers and, and, and the water plant. We sell water to the community and we use the, the profits from that to do other projects when the revenues are, are sufficient. We had a problem with the fluctuations in revenues because you'd have summers where it rained all summer. Nobody irrigated their lawns and, and the revenues from water were, were way down. And so money that we'd sort of planned on, we didn't, we didn't get that year. And it made budgeting somewhat challenging. Infrastructure needs for, for the water system were always there, right? So we were looking at how, how do we sort of flatten this out a little bit so that in our budgeting process, we can have a predictable revenue stream for the water fund. What I came up with with the members of the Public Works Committee was a flat infrastructure fee for water. So if you look at your water bill every quarter, you there's a flat fee that even if you went to Florida for three months and didn't use any water, there's still a flat fee. And that fee was to pay for the infrastructure required so that when you came home at Christmas to visit the kids, and turned on the shower, water actually came out, right? Once we did that, in looking into that problem, we did some modeling that showed that our public safety pension payments were rapidly escalating. And there was some modeling that suggested that within five years, those pension payments were going to essentially take away all of our discretionary funds that we would be spending all of our surplus revenues to pay for pension uh, responsibilities and our, the city's ability to do other things would essentially stop. Now, we weren't alone in this, right? Every community in Illinois had this problem. But the difference was, and this is one of the beauties of Lake Forest City Government, is, is we started looking at this and modeling this before it became a problem, not after it became a problem. So once we saw this, I made a presentation to the to the city council about what was happening and why we needed to seriously address this. And the first thing I suggested doing came out of that uh, fixed water charge. I pro proposed that we have a fixed public safety pension charge that went on the water bill so that everybody would know where this money was going instead of burying it in a tax levy. Everybody would know that, hey, this money that you're getting charged is paying for this specific thing to maintain our public safety and to pay off our obligations. It was, I thought it was financially responsible. And, and it was a flat fee because everybody in the city gets the same benefit from public safety, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you have a house that's $4 million or you have a house that's $400,000 you get the benefit of a fire department and, and police department. They don't serve those people differently. So a flat fee made sense, but it was only a, a small factor. But what it did was it stimulated the mayor to put together a committee to look at how we could flatten the curve on our pension payments 
so that it wouldn't suck all of the money, all of the discretionary money out of the budget and that we could continue to function effectively as a city government. The two guys who were the main drivers of that committee were Jed Morris and Tim Newman. And they put together a plan that allowed or that called for pre-funding of these payments out of fund reserves and any surpluses that we had so that by starting to pay off our obligations early, the curve flattened so that we were no longer having this intersection where all of our discretionary funds were being taken away. And this proposal was adopted. I think um, George Pandeleon was the mayor when it finally came to pass and they voted on doing it. I may be wrong. It may have been Rob Lansing. Um, but anyway, if, if you look at those curves now, and Elizabeth Holub could tell you a great deal about this, I mean, basically, we're going to be flat on our pension payments by 2025, meaning, you know, we're going to be able to budget those predictably. And we are unique in that ability in our community. And again, that's a testament to how our city government works and, and the skill sets of the volunteers and the professionals who work here. It wasn't, wasn't really about me. I just merely sort of said, hey, we have this big problem and we have to start doing something about it. Other people actually did the work. And, and you know, Randy, it, it, to me, as an alderman, I think um, where you show your merit, so to speak, is when the mayor is <laughs> asking you to serve on several different committees and then you're actually not just sitting on the committee or heading the committee, but making things happen, which I, you know, we've been discussing stuff that you've made happen. But I think one of the, in my opinion, one of the biggest challenges the city faces is development. And you've been put in charge of the central business district. I've been at a few of the meetings. I've asked to sit in some of the initial questioning and all. Can you talk about what you're leading up with the central business district? The thing about development is, is it always happens. It doesn't happen in a linear fashion, right? It happens sort of in fits and starts. There's periods where there'll be a lot of development activity and periods where it's relatively quiet. Um, and some of that's driven by aging infrastructure, uh, things that are buildings that are becoming obsolete, uh, trends in business. You know, the easiest one to look at for Lake Forest is trends in banking. You know, it used to be a discussion with every election of, you know, what are, you know, why do we have so many banks, right? That was always the big thing. Right. Oh, we don't need more banks. We, the issue now is that we have certain businesses that are disappearing from our central business district. So let's look at banking. It's got a huge Northern Trust bank building that is almost empty. I mean, a lot of the things they used to do there aren't done there anymore. The Midwest Bank is almost empty. If you take a walk from the Deer Path Inn down Bank Lane to Westminster and just look on each side of the street, you see some remarkable things. You see a, an empty gas station lot. You see a, an obsolete mixed-use residential business across the street from <clears throat> the Northern Trust on Bank Lane that has some issues. You see a lot of properties that are going to be redeveloped. I mean, they just are because they're coming to end of life. And a lot of empty properties, you know, the building where Subway is on Oakwood, 
Um, you know, that is currently in flux. What I'm doing on Central Business District Working Group is we're trying to look at, at these potential developments that are going to happen within the next 10 years and try to find a general policy approach to how the, that redevelopment can occur in a way that enhances the city, that improves some of our infrastructure problems, that improves you know, the walkability of the central business district, the accessibility of the central business district, while maintaining sort of the historic and architectural character of the central business district. So what we're looking at is, is creating a policy statement basically that says, this is how we envision this developing. And if we are successful in shepherding this process, we will end up with an enhanced central business district that amplifies all of the strengths and eliminates some of the weaknesses but we're not doing development. That's not really what the city does. In other words, if there's a private building that's going to be torn down, you've got a property owner who has certain rights to redevelopment. You're going to have developers who come in with proposals. But if we create a general concept of how the city wants to see it developed and gives guidelines to property owners and developers, this can evolve in a way that that will enhance the city 10 to 15 years from now. That's really what we're looking at. You know, people say, oh, well, the people on this committee, you know, they, they just want rampant development or whatever. No, it's quite the opposite, actually. What we are interested in is controlled development. We acknowledge that there will be substantial development in the central business district in the next 10 years. There will be, whether we like it or not, there will be. So the question is, how do we manage that? And how do we, you know, sort of, get the information out to interested parties to say, hey, this is the direction we would like you to go so that there's some uniformity to the overall development. Can you look out four years and kind of clue in our listeners and watchers, what are some of the issues that they don't know will be issues in the next four years that you foresee? I think we just talked about the biggest one is that I, I we're going to have substantial development activities starting in the next two to four years. Uh, I, I don't want to sort of identify specific properties because I don't think that's necessarily fair to the businesses who are there now or the owners of those properties. That's number one is because as development occurs, that has implications for city infrastructure. We already have, for instance, flooding problems in the central business district and surrounding communities. Improper or uncontrolled development may make that situation much worse. Our goal on the central business district working group, as well as I think the city as a whole, is as development occurs, how can we manage that to improve our infrastructure, to mitigate the problems we already have, make them less problematic, as development occurs rather than more problematic. So that's number one. The second major issue that I see, and I hope this doesn't come to pass, but, but there's a lot of pressure on this. There's a lot of pressure to change our form of city government, to make it more partisan, to have our city government begin to 
weigh in on social issues and cultural issues, that, it, that if, we, if we don't take care, that could really disrupt our form of government. Our form of government, this volunteer, you know, city council, boards and commissions and professional staff only really works because we don't get into that. Aldermen can sit on the city council and they may have diametrically opposed political views, but we sit and we talk to each other. We have dinner with each other before the meetings and, and it works well because we don't get into those things. Right. But if we allow partisanship to creep into the system and we start talking about social issues, I truly believe that our ability to function is going to deteriorate. And before you know it, it will be, in fact have to become a, a partisan form of government where you have Democrats and Republicans running for positions rather than nonpartisan state caucus nominated candidates. Stu, is that what's happening now with these two aldermen that are sitting it out? Isn't that what they said? They're going to sit this one out? It may not be uh, Democrat or Republican, but it's male, female. Is that what's happening? I, I don't know. That's what's happening. I just I just think if you're a sitting uh, alderman, mayor, whatever, and you've gone through the process, you should be supporting the process. That's how they got there. If you want to vote for someone else, that's fine. That's your personal prerogative. But if you you need to support the process that got you there, and that's just my opinion, but um, I don't know what why they're sitting in it. Well, I mean, no. doctor, you were an alderman. Was there any, can you fathom anything that you say, you know what, I'm not going to vote for this <laughs> or I'm, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to, or is that abstain? I, I don't know, but it's, you're, you're not taking a stand. What, what I will say is when I was an alderman, I was a big supporter of the caucus process, even though I would argue and other people would argue, maybe even using me as an example, that the process doesn't always work perfectly. I mean, some people who get a position don't function ter terribly well in that position, but that doesn't mean the process is bad. It just means that it's imperfect, right? And why is it imperfect? Sku has spoken about this many times. It's imperfect because people are imperfect. And even though you, you try to select people who will perform well, they don't always do so, but there's a solution to that. It's not getting rid of the caucus. It's sort of doubling down on the caucus process and saying, hey, this needs to stay a meritocracy because the more you weaken it and the more you bring other things in, the more likely you are to get a product coming out that, that doesn't really meet the standard. Dr. Tack, the League of Women Voters, that's the only forum where you can de debate your opponent. Is that correct? Oh, I don't I don't know that that's true. I don't yeah, I mean, somebody else could step up and say, hey, you know, we would like to have a debate and um, we would like to sponsor this. You know, for instance, this is an example. The Chicago Bears could come out and say, you know what, you know, our training facilities here in Lake Forest, we want to contribute to the community. We want to sponsor a debate at Hallis Hall and invite the public to come in and, and meet these candidates. And we're doing it just because we're, you know, this is our home. This is this is you know where our business emanates from, and, and we work with city government, and we have an interest. So I could imagine something like that. Not that the Bears have ever spoken to me about that. I hear we got um, a pretty nice college here too. Well, sure, and and you could the Lake Forest College could sponsor a debate. 
Um, anybody could sponsor it. And it would be nice if people who wanted to sponsor it were in fact sort of disinterested in the sense that they didn't have a horse in the race. So you're saying that Scoo and I should uh, sponsor debates? <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Would but you sort of are sponsoring a debate, right? I mean, isn't that really what you're doing is right. you're inviting people to come on and you're challenging them. And this is sort of a debate of sorts. Well, people don't like to be challenged. Th those echo chambers are very loud. And we've always preached, think for yourself. I, how many times have I gone back and forth on the caucus, Scoo? I don't know. <laughs> I, I got here four years ago. I liked it, didn't like it, liked it, didn't like it. I guess that's part of the imperfect process. And I respect anybody that comes on and states their opinion, gives objective data that I can go back and think about and say, you know what? All right, I'm in. That's what I like about you, Dr. Tech. Yeah, and it's an in imperfect process, but it's work. And how people kid about, oh, yeah, it's old, it's, you know, 88 years old. But at the end of the day, when you look back at it and how it operates and how it works, the city's pretty successful because of it. And um, I, I think, you know, like you said, it's process and all the issues, but it, it works. And you know, it's worked and it's put a nice slate forward for alderman, mayor and all that. And that's, you know, as a community, we have to, you know, gather around and, and back that because that's how we operate. And that's how, you know, the city operates. What happened with the railroad, Scoo? Well, I, I, I'm not an expert on it, but what happened was uh, my understanding was that um, there was discussion out west that there wanted, you know, there's not a stop from Lake Forest to Milwaukee. And I know that was part of the issue and all that. But in order to do that, um, because freights go down that track as well as passenger trains, is late at night, I'm sure, Pete, you're probably immune to it now, but you could hear the freights from our houses, right? There was a, a sidetrack, which typically is what happens. There's a sidetrack when commuters are running. And if it's in, in line with a Great. They pull to the side and let them go and all that. And I think the issue, Randy, you can talk to it more, but was putting a sidetrack, or as they call it, the third rail, out west there in Lake Forest for that purpose because it's to ease the flow, so to speak. But um, I, I think it also grew into this big, gigantic but issue. Wasn't that but, like a federal problem, the railroad's problem, that we want to spend money that's not our problem? What, Dr. Tack, what happened? It's 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 a very long story, and it starts in a, to my understanding, somewhere around 2012, which was when when I began as an alderman. And there's no relationship between me being an alderman <laughs> and starting. Okay, just so we know. I believe that <clears throat> the origin of this was, WISDOT and IDOT were very interested in in developing enhanced Amtrak service between Chicago and Milwaukee. Okay. And Lake Forest at that time, hearing of this interest, began engaging in the idea of having an Amtrak stop on the west side, which would have been nice, right? You could go to the west side and take take the train up to Mitchell Airport and, and you know. You got to go down Glenview. Now, right? Yeah. Right now, you'd have to go to Glenview to get on the Amtrak. Right. Not very convenient. You might as well just go to O'Hare and get on the plane. Right. A, a proposal from WISDOT and IDOT for enhanced commuter rail service. But as they got into this, 
you know, they started doing environmental studies and, and other studies that looked into it. And as I understand it, there was a an issue with the volume of freight traffic. That Canadian Pacific line, which is the Milwaukee Road line, is a is a very heavily utilized freight corridor. And in order to do these other things, there was this idea that you might have to get freight rail off at certain times to allow passenger rail to bypass. <clears throat> so there, there were numerous different proposals that were floated. One, as I understand it, was a continuous third track from Chicago to Milwaukee, which is a huge project. Nobody had any money to do it. All passenger and freight rail is governed by federal authorities. Uh, something called the Surface Transportation Board and the Federal Rail Authority. So nothing can be done with federal or commuter rail interstate that isn't approved at the federal level. And you know all these rail right-of-ways were given to the railroads in the mid-1800s. Abraham Lincoln was the president when the railroads were given this property. And they were given certain rights. And so this is sort of the elephant in the room with all of this, is, is that municipalities don't have a lot of authority over commuter or freight traffic that runs on these right-of-ways. That doesn't mean we can't weigh in on the process, and we should, but we don't actually have jurisdiction over those things. Okay, so this thing was evolving. And somewhere in 2016, as I recall, the, um, some of the communities on the west side, particularly Academy Woods, but there's a few others, the residents began hearing of these proposals for this potential, what people call third rail, which was really a holding track uh, being built. And of course, they live right next to these freight tracks, and they didn't really want anything that made that situation worse than it already was for them, which is fair enough, right? So they came to the city, and they wanted asked the city to get aggressively involved in opposing this. And their proposal was that the city create a several hundred thousand dollar fund to actively fight these proposals. They came to city council meeting en masse. I mean, we had meetings with easily a hundred people there getting up and, and there was a lot of angry discussion that went you know, toward the city and a perceived lack of support for their community. The city council grappled with this situation and looked at the merits of getting involved the way the community groups wanted us to get involved and other alternatives, which included engaging uh, our federal representatives, our state representatives, and representatives of the rail companies. And the city council, after debating this, made a decision. One was a policy decision. We issued a policy statement saying that we were opposed to freight rail expansion on the Canadian Pacific Line and that we would actively work with our partners to oppose this. But our other position was that we did not feel that at that time, under the circumstances, which included the jurisdictional issues, that committing substantial sums of money 
for consultants and, and lawyers was in the fiduciary interests of the citizens of Lake Forest. And therefore, we chose not to do that. Now, that being said, another community chose a different pathway. Glenview chose to be more financially involved in this. And here we are now, what, five, six years later, there's still no third track. There's no holding track. There's no proposal to build. I believe that the policy that that we established at that time was correct in the best interests of the city and it and also in the best interests of our constituents on the west side i believe that the city has been actively engaged in a meaningful way the, the city council fairly recently revisited this issue and doubled down on the policy saying no the policy is engagement this is what works committing financial resources to this at this time is not what's necessary as we sit here today that's current city policy. If I was the mayor, that would continue to be the city policy unless the city council, after reviewing whatever new information becomes available, makes an alternative decision. How much money would that have cost us if we did want to do that? Well, I mean, it's hard to say. It depends on how much money you're willing to commit. But my understanding is, and I actually did a little bit of research recently, I believe that Glenview has spent close to half a million dollars on this. To date, I would argue that what they've gotten out of that is no greater than we've gotten out of it by engaging in the process. And, you know, listen, engaging, engaging doesn't mean just talking to people. We have submitted formal commentary to the boards that are responsible for this. We've done everything that you can do short of hiring lawyers and consultants. And that's actually what has been effective. And we're doing that in conjunction with other communities, not just Glenview. It's not just like Glenview and Lake Forest are the only right. two who have any interests in this. All the communities along these lines have interests in this. Positive and negative. Yeah, exactly. The CP or Canadian Pacific, the railroad, they decide they want to do it. Pushback, but is it not their property and their right to do that? They could well, be bad community citizens, but yeah, and and it's and it's more than just the Canadian Pacific. They're, you know, they're the freight operator. But as I understand it, actually, that segment of the track is owned by Metro. That used to be the old Milwaukee Road Line, and I believe right. Metro owns the track. So that if it was going to be done, Metro would have to agree to doing it, um, and then they would have have to apply to the federal government with a plan to do it, and they would have right. to obtain funding to do it. Um, but ultimately, you are correct, as I understand it. And again, you know, I, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, but um, as I understand it, they do have this right of way that was given to them. And one of their rights is to use that for their business purposes. If they determined that that was an essential business requirement, they could make that proposal. And if approved by the federal government, they could build it. We're going to have a fun four months here. As a uh, four-year newcomer, it seems to me that anytime that something positive is going to be done in town, there's a, a faction of the the people that live here that are on the other side. It's for whatever reason. Do you have any ideas or thoughts on how you can bring everybody together and harness this wasted energy and and to do positive with it rather than negative? People always have certain self-interests. I and mean, you know, if I live 
on block X and something's going to happen on block Y next to me, my interests are very different maybe than somebody who lives two miles away, right? And so I may interpret, you know, city ordinances and things in one way because and want decisions to be made in one way. All we can do as city government in order to minimize the acrimony that comes from, from this sort of push and pull is by making all of our decisions in a fact-based manner. You know, don't make emotional decisions at the city council level. Accumulate facts. Apply our ordinances uniformly and responsibly. Engage the, the, the people in the affected communities and try to mitigate negative effects that they might experience from, from a project that is going to be approved because it's entitled to be approved, you know, based on the factual data available. You know, there will always be push and pull and arguments an essential part of city government. And when I say argument, I don't mean argument sort of in the hostile sense. I mean it more in the legal sense that you're going to make a decision. Argument is the fact set that you put together to come to a decision. And the best argument should always win based on the best fact set. And if we do that, people may walk away unhappy for a while, but they won't feel like they were treated unfairly. Sometimes if people don't get something that they desire or that they feel the effect on them is unusually extreme, they will may always have a negative viewpoint of that. And that's just a reality of government is that there will always be some dissatisfaction. But if, but if we perform well, engage people and make fast fact-based decisions, that will minimize that, I think. Maybe I'm well, wrong. Politics only matters when it affects you, right, Scoo? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm a, a big provider. I live like you, Pete, in the uh, central business district, and I've seen screaming and hollering. Randy mentioned Regents Row, and you know the grill restaurant going up. There's been a lot of turmoil when it comes to you can't do this, you can't do this. I don't like this in my neighborhood. But I always say, at the end of the day, these these things they vet through the right process, and the city determines this is good for the community. These things get established and the screamers and howlers are like, God, I love this. <laughs> this is well, fantastic. There, there are so many screamers and hollerers on either side, whatever the issue is. And this will be the last one, Doc. How do we get more than 3,000 people out of the 16,000 to come out and vote? Do you give them a reason? Well, yeah. Again, I think this is something that that we're victims of our own success to some extent, Right. right? Because we have such relatively effective city government that the average person in town just like assumes that things will be done well. There's no reason for them to engage in the process, even for the hour it takes to go to vote, because they just assume that the outcome is going to be perfectly satisfactory and they will go on and live their lives and in a beautiful community. Uh, and to a large extent, they're right, right? Because the system has worked very well for a long time. That leads to an undue amount of apathy. I may be wrong, but I have the suspicion that what's going on now is going to lead to a much higher involvement in, in this election. And that's multiple factors. It's not just that there's a contested mayoral race. It's also, you know, there's a very significant um uh, school referendum issue that's popping up. So there's a lot of reasons maybe this time for people to become engaged in the process, which is 
which is good and bad. What we really want is we want people to become more informed so that when they do participate, they participate in a way that has positive outcomes. Ill-informed voters don't necessarily affect the process in a positive way. You know, sometimes, you know, there's emotional votes that result in really bad decision making. But this is a role of the caucus, right? In other words, it's the caucus's job to engage the community. And they do this by going out and recruiting volunteers, asking their neighbors, hey, you know, why don't you come participate in the caucus process? Help us identify people, kind of like they did with me. Neighbor down the street says, hey, I know this guy. I've talked to him about city things. He seems like he knows what he's doing and he'd, he'd be in, interested in this. Let's go out and, and grab this guy and get him involved in the process. Don't wait for everybody to show up. The caucus has to be more aggressive, both in getting people into the caucus system. And then once they select candidates, going out and making the case to people as to why this is important, why this is essential to our city form of government so that so that people understand that it's fine for you to take it, take this for granted 364 days out of the year. But, you know, once a year or once every other year when the elections come up, it's really important that you spend a little time and weigh in on the process. Can we do a party at the Lantern or at Chiefs or something, a voting party where people come in, we got the absentee ballots in and uh, they could fill it out and then mail it in? Is there? Are you asking <laughs> a question about uh, vote by mail? Because that's yeah. really that's actually a, a very important thing. So this was a discovery. So I'm not a political person, right? Yeah. So a few weeks ago, I had a meeting with some people who are political people. And it, this was educational for me, right? Um, because I was now engaged in a process that I don't know a lot about. And one of the things I discovered, sort of to my dismay, um, is that ballot harvesting is legal in Illinois. And it's actually been done very effectively in the sort of uh, county state level, okay? Wherein people go out and they literally deliver vote by mail ballots to people stand there and ask them to fill out their ballots and they will take them from them and file them. I didn't realize that this was a real thing uh, or that it was legal, but it not only is it legal, but it's apparently done at a very high level already, you know, in Lake hmm. County, Illinois. Um, so this is actually an area where the caucus needs to come up to speed and say, hey, if we're going to have contested elections, the caucus needs to go out not only and sort of provide informational support for their candidates, but but logistical support for how do we get these votes done? What I would tell you is I think that and and I think that the more experienced political operatives would say this is that if you haven't won the election by the week before election day, you've lost the election that you're no longer going to win elections by people showing up on election day. I'm going to figure out how to do this harvesting thing. And, and, yeah. And that's, that's a good point because, you know, not only does the caucus, because they rarely, you know, that's part of the success of the caucus is rarely getting a contested election, or if they do get a contested election, it's not as prevalent, but now they, they, you know, they vet the people. Now they have to turn into actually a campaign manager. Now for the caucus slate, for Randy, for the aldermen that are coming through, for the school board. And if that's, you know, it truly is legal and able to do that, that's the next step to ensure that. My idea, I hate pointing fingers without a solution, Doc. 
February 14th, Valentine's Day. We love Dr. Tech. Lantern right above Scoo's office with these ballots. Come on in. Don't know how to do it, but we're going to try. What do you think, Doc? (laughs) Well, you know, listen, I I love the concept of having voting events if if it's legal and say, hey, come in. This is what we're doing. We're going to make it easy for you to vote. We're not telling you who to vote for, but obviously if you're sponsoring it, you're you're supporting a certain candidate. But but making it easier for people to vote is in a legitimate way is a very positive thing. And so uh, if if that's the way the game is to be played now, then then you have to play it and and both sides have to play it. You know, in this case, you know, we happen to know because uh, of the team that's working with with Prue, who's running against me, that, that they will be doing this because they have experience in this. The caucus has much less, but we're building on it. And I think the caucus is going to make a very serious effort to do this. And, and again, in a very legitimate way, not, right. you know, not coercing people's votes or things. That's not what we want. We want people to positively vote for us because we feel that we have a better message and better candidates. Scoo, I'm going to reach out to Ed. February 14th, The Lantern. I don't know what this thing is going to be called. Whoever you want to vote for, we'll have those things right there. (laughs) And if you vote for Randy Tech, I'll buy you a beer. That's how we did it in Chicago. (laughs) Probably have to cut that out. Kind of grabbing the crystal ball and all that. If you're elected with the slate as mayor and all that, Walking away four years later, what would you envision you'd want to accomplish or your legacy as mayor of Lake Forest? With all the issues that kind of, we didn't even talk about the school, uh, the referendum potential and all that, but. Yeah, well, you know, the basic thing, you know, the basic definition of success of a mayor is that that when you leave the office, the city finances are in at least as good a shape as they were when you came in. Your infrastructure is better than it was when you came in. Any infrastructure problems that you have, you've at least developed a plan to begin to address those things, because that's an ever ongoing thing with aging infrastructure, right? And that you leave behind a, a more cohesive community. And that's for me with, with the sort of the situation that we're in. What I would love to see at the end of four years is, is that we don't have any need for contested elections anymore because people realize that the process, hey, worked. And, you know, we double down on the process on the on the caucus candidate recruitment side, getting more people involved in the system than we used to have so that at the end we get better people than we ever had before. So you create a in an environment where people want to be involved in government. And I want, you know, some people don't like it when I say this, but I think we need to create a situation where people feel that it is fun and meaningful to volunteer for municipal government positions. Because people who are busy and successful, that's what they want. They don't need to get paid for this, but they want to feel like they are doing something meaningful. And so that's what I want. I want to leave behind a government that people want to participate in. Doctor, the listeners and viewers, they want to learn more about you. How can they go see you in person? What, what do you got uh, on the calendar? 
we have one coming up at a private home as soon as I get back from my vacation. We've got one scheduled at Exmoor Country Club for Lake Forest members who are there. We've got a meet and greet event at Gordon Community Center coming up in a couple weeks. I've got a, an event set up at Crystal Point to, dis, to discuss the candidacy there. And we've got another one at Lake Forest Place. And there will be more of these. My understanding is the caucus has an event at Ferrari. Um, so we've got a whole uh, schedule of, of opportunities for people to find out who we are and, and what we're about. Dr. Randy Tack, running for mayor, caucus slate. We thank you so much for coming on the Lake Forest podcast. Thanks, Randy. Thanks a bunch, guys. All right, Scoo. Great job by Dr. Randy Tack. What a great uh, interview. Yeah, that was fantastic. I hope we get more people listening. This could be our biggest show. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. You know, but we got to we got to uh, support the other side too. So, um, Paul Hammond, Prue, come on, Prue. I'm going to text you one more time. How many and... times do you, you talk to her? That should be like all texting buddies now. <laughs> I'm going to text you one more time to come on, and then I. I don't want to beg. If you want to say your point, say your point. If not, or you got enough votes in already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, never. This is how the show started, right, Pete? You guys had, uh, what was it, school board contested elections. And you started had all the, the caucuses, uh, Mike Adams, yeah. and then all the school board people coming on. And then nobody has uh, reached out. So I guess everybody has all the exposure that they want. So. We will continue to grow this thing, and then eventually, if you want to get your message out in this particular medium, we'll be here for you. At what point are we syndicated? Uh, well, we it could be the Lake Forest podcast. Or... <laughs> it could be the North Shore podcast. It could be the Illinois podcast. It could be the Midwest podcast. Various different things. But now you got us. Well, we'll uh, as we evolve, we'll have to change. You know. This is what two hours getting on. <laughs> no wonder people fast forward. <laughs> Scoo, another great show, my friend. A lot of editing to do. Here we go. Dr. Tech, great interview. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Prue Beidler. Come on. Come on, Prue. Paul Hammond. Paul, oh, come, come on. All right. Peace out. Later, bye. The Lake Forest Podcast is supported by viewers, listeners, and businesses just like you. Make a memory of a lifetime with Shark Eye Outdoors out of Longboat Key, Florida. Experience their shark beach fishing, kayak tours, and fossil hunting. Go to sharkeyeoutdoors.com to schedule an outing. Forest Bluff Real Estate Group serves Illinois, Wisconsin, Lake Forest, and Lake Bluff. Joan Josephitis, Laura Lee Van Fleet, and Michelle Parnell. Get a free market analysis now at forestbluffrealestate.com. Hey, for the best cannabis in the world, look no further than Iliad Epic Grow. They're a cannabis cultivation center focusing on hard-to-find small-batch products that will delight both the occasional user and the ganjier. When visiting Michigan, ask for it by name, Epic Products, Exceptional Process, Iliad Epic Grow. For more information, email info at iliadgrow.com. 
We'd also like to say we're thankful for our Patreon supporters, Reverend Luke Pat from the Church of the Holy Spirit, Matt A, Elizabeth C, Costa Lance, Otto, RDM, John C, and welcome aboard, Dan Rogers. Hello to the Lake Forest Breakfast Group, Broadstop Kenosha, Captain Mike's Kenosha, Greentown Tavern, Waukegan, and the Frolic Lounge in Waukegan. 